Satan is of the spirit. Take away our pride. Undress us of our pride. And help us to be humbled. Help us to humbly accept the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. I mean, we've been talking about a very serious topic that is uh, fundamental to, to our faith. And last week, we touched an issue that is very sensitive. Amen. I never know that it will be this controversial until when we treated or we listened to the sermon again in our cell meeting, and I discovered that a lot of grounds were shifted. Hallelujah. But I, I really want to encourage us that when we come to the scriptures, let's be open-minded. Let's, let's look at Acts, Acts chapter 17, verse 10, and see an example of a mind that is able to learn. Acts 17, verse 10 says, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded. Hallelujah. You see what it, the, the scripture says? They were what? They were fair-minded. The amplifier says, now the people were more noble. They were more noble. And why were they noble? They were more noble and open-minded than those in Thessalonica. This was a very vital virtue that was seen in the believers in Berea. The Bible says that they were open-minded. They were open-minded. They, uh, they were willing to open their mind to the teachings that Paul and Silas were bringing to them. So they received the message of salvation through faith in Christ with what? With great eagerness. This is the mind of someone that really wants to understand the scriptures. You must be open-minded. You must receive the word with great eagerness. Eagerness has to do with the readiness, the readiness to receive the word. Someone that is ready to receive the word is someone that is ready to write. Is someone that is prepared, has prayerfully prepared himself to receive the word. With great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Hallelujah. They do what? They examine the scriptures daily. See, Christianity is not for lazy people. Hallelujah. So if you find yourself struggling with the truth, your responsibility is to go back and sit down and examine the scriptures. This was Paul and Silas, great apostles that they've heard of, have established churches all around. But when they taught them the scriptures, what did they do? They didn't just take it because it's coming from Paul and Silas. They went back, the Bible says that they what? They examined the scriptures daily to see if these things that Apostle Paul and Silas were teaching them were true. You can easily shout heresy or false teaching when you have not really taken time to do what? To examine the scriptures. When the word comes, it comes to confront your understanding. It comes to confront your traditional mindset, your perceived ideas. Sometimes when we read scriptures, you want to impute your meaning into the word. That is not how to come to scriptures. You must come to the scriptures with what? With an eager mind that is willing to learn. 
And not only do we teach you the word, you have a responsibility to do what? To examine the things we teach, to study the scriptures yourself. Ask questions and see if these things were so, if these things be so. Hallelujah. And then another scripture. John chapter 1 verse 21. James rather. James 1 21. The easiest way you can detect a doctrine that is not of God is when the doctrine does not say, does not, does not exalt Jesus. Hallelujah. The easiest way you can know a false teaching is when the teaching does not exalt the name of Jesus Christ. This is, is not the only, but it's one of the ways. Hallelujah. So get rid of all uncleanness and all that remains of what? Of wickedness. And with a humble spirit, do what? Receive the word of God, which is implanted, rooted in your heart, which is able to save your soul. The key thing here that is necessary for understanding scriptures and understanding the Bible is what? Coming to the with, 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 a, with a humble spirit. Not coming to the world with a, with an, with, with a I, I too know spirit. You know everything. You even know what the pastor will say from this verse that he's reading. That is a heart that can never learn. That is a heart that can never be transformed by the word. The word of God is new every single day. Hallelujah. So when we come to the word of God, we must be humble enough to listen to the word with open-mindedness and then trust God to give us illumination in Jesus' name. So today we are concluding our studies on Christology. This is not the end, but we are, stop we are stopping here. We continue next time. We said Christology is a part of the theology that does what? That is concerned with the nature and the work of Jesus Christ, including such matters as what? His incarnation. First of all, we say that God is, Jesus is divine. He pre-existed before what? Before creation. So from his divinity, we look at his divinity, we prove that he is divine. And after we look at his divinity, we look at people's soul and they touch him in his real form. He ate the way we ate. He slept. He did normal activity as any other human being will do. And he suffered. Not because he was a criminal, but he suffered because of us, because of our transgressions. And then he was crucified. He died on the cross. After dying on the cross, you know, he was buried. Very important. He buried for three days. And we studied what he did in, his, in, in those three days. What happened in those three days? We saw what happened on the cross, what happened in the grave. Not only that he was buried after three days, we saw that he resurrected. And we tried to prove that the resurrection of the Christ is true. Hallelujah. And after resurrection, we look at where he went to after resurrection. We saw that Jesus Christ did what? He went to heaven to present himself before the Father for the remission of our sins. Hallelujah. We said that every church service is a, word, is a school. And we study the Bible. Jesus commanded the church to make disciples, to make students of all nations. The moment you come to the faith, you've come into a school. And what we learn in this school is Jesus Christ. And the Bible is what is our curriculum for training. 
is fundamental for our training to becoming like Jesus. And we also said the last time, one of the series uh, section we had, we said that the Bible has its own way and method of interpretation. Amen? And we don't interpret it the way we want. You know, somebody will say, ah, this is the way it means to me. Hallelujah. The Bible has its way of interpretation. And whenever we come to scriptures, we cannot just have our own interpretation of it. We must interpret it in the light of Christ. Amen? The moment we begin to interpret the Bible outside Christ, then we'll be in error. That's where any doctrine can come in if the focus is not Christ. The intention of the Bible is to reveal Christ. From Genesis to Revelation is to reveal Christ. Hallelujah. We mentioned that the successful Bible preaching or study must be to explain Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is concealed. Is Jesus Christ concealed? We saw that last time. And then the New Testament is an attempt to do what? To explain to us Christ as concealed in the Old Testament. So sometimes you could read some Old Testament scriptures and you may not understand. How to interpret these scriptures must be through the New Testament. Hallelujah. The writings of the apostles is very vital for us to understand the, the Old Testament. The sayings of Jesus Christ are very crucial and important for us to understand the Old Testament. So a good student of scriptures must not only read the Old Testament alone, but compare because scriptures explain scriptures. The only way the scripture can be explained is through scriptures, not our experiences, because our experiences differ. Hallelujah. Our experiences are not, are not the standard, but scripture explains scriptures. Hallelujah. No wonder after the resurrection, Jesus explains to his disciples only the things concerning himself. He didn't begin to explain to them the Amalekites and all those many, many things that were contained in scriptures. But he dissected, he traced down all the things, connecting all the things, right from Genesis to Malachi. He explained to the apostles in, 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 in Luke chapter 24, verse 25. He taught them all the things that have been written concerning himself. These are things that are very important for us. Hallelujah. So today we're going to be talking about the Macy seat. Amen. Continue from where we stop. We said that Jesus Christ, when he ascended, he presented himself before the Father. And when he presented himself before the Father at the Macy seat, at the very presence of God, was where the remissions of our sins was executed, where he shedded his blood where he, he cleans us from what? From all our sins. Hallelujah. Leviticus chapter 16. Give me Leviticus chapter 16 verse 11. Leviticus chapter 16 verse 11. The mercy seat. We are still looking at Christology. The mercy seat in types is was represented in types and shadows in the Old Testament. Aaron shall present the bull as the sin offering for himself. This was a culture or this was a tradition that was given to Aaron. He must do what? Present the bull as sin offering for himself. When Jesus Christ came to die, he didn't die for his own sins. 
Hallelujah. He didn't present an offering for himself. No, he didn't need that offering. But here, Aaron must present an offering for himself and make atonement for himself, for his household, the other priest. And he shall kill the bull and sin offering for himself. He shall take a censer full of burning coals from the bronze altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground sweet incense and bring it inside the veil into the most holy place. And put the yes, and put the incense on the fire in the censer before the Lord, so that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the ark of testimony. Otherwise, he will what? He will die. He shall take some of the bull's blood and sprinkle it with his finger on what? Each side of the mercy seat. Also in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. And I'm wondering, what is this ritual is all about? Blood, bull, you know. And some of us, we prefer some things magical like this. Amen? If it's not practical and demonstrated like this, it seems as though it's not the fact. Then he shall kill the gout of the sin offering, that is, for the sin of the people, of the people and bring his blood with the, within the veil into the most holy place and do with his blood as he did with the blood of the bull. And sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Verse 16, yes. So he shall make atonement for the holy place. The holies of holies because of the uncleanness and the transgressions of the Israelites. So all these things were for the sake of what? The transgressions, the misgivings, the misdeeds of what? Of the Israelites. For all their sins. He shall also do this for the tent of the meeting, which is among them in the midst of the uncleanness, the impurity of their uncleanness. Yes, verse 17, the last one. There shall be no person, we emphasize this the last time, there shall be no person in the tent of meeting when the high priest goes into the atonement, into make atonement in the holy place within the veil until he comes out so that he may make atonement for himself, his own sins, and for his household, and for all the congregation of Israel. Hallelujah. The priest in the Old Testament only sprinkled the blood on where? On the mercy seat. And then he leaves. And we say that this is a type. This is a shadow. This is a symbolism. This is an example of what Christ was achieved for us. God was trying to communicate with the Israelites. This is what he's going to achieve in Christ Jesus. Moses peeped into heaven. God revealed this and commanded Moses to build according to the pattern he saw. Hallelujah. So let's look at the fulfillment or let's explain this Leviticus using the, the New Testament. The fulfillment of these types and shadows. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. From verse 1 to 6. Hebrews 1, Hebrews 8, verse 1. Now, the main point of what we have, we have to say is this. We have such a high priest. Hallelujah. Now, Aaron is not the high priest in this context, right? Jesus is now what? The high priest. Among the priests, there is a high priest. Amen? 
So now the main point of what we have to say is this. We have such a high priest who? The Christ. Who is seated in the place of honor. Where is he seated? In the place of honor. Not the place of honor. Not it key. It's very key. He's seated at where? The place of honor. Who is seated in the place of honor? At where? The right hand of the throne of majesty. God in heaven. Verse 2. What is he doing? He is a minister, officiating priest in the holy places and in the true tabernacle, which is erected not by man, but by who? By the Lord. Hallelujah. The next verse. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it is essential for this one also have something to offer. Now, if we if he were still living on earth, that is Jesus, if Jesus was still on earth, he would not be a priest at all. For there are priests, there are many of them, who do what? Who offer gifts to God in accordance with the law. Which law? The law of Moses, isn't it? They served as a pattern for shadowing of what has, what has its true existence and reality in the heavenly things, the sanctuary. So what we read in Leviticus, we said is what? They were shadows. They were symbols. Hallelujah. And it says they serve as a pattern and foreshadowing of what has its true existence and reality in the heavenly things, the things in the sanctuary. For when Moses was about to erect the tabernacle, he was warned by God, saying what? See that you make it all exactly according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. Verse 6, the last verse here. But as it is, Christ has acquired a priestly ministry. Amen? Amen. Now a priest must first of all be a man. Amen? God decided that the priest would be a man, and Christ is a man. Hallelujah. Christ has acquired a priestly ministry, which is more excellent than the all Levitical mediate, uh, mis, uh, priestly ministry. For he is the what? He is a mediator, the arbiter of a better covenant. So what Christ established is far greater. It's more important than the Levitical order. Hallelujah. We are not saying that it was useless. No. But this that Christ introduced is much more superior. It's more important than that of the former. A better covenant uniting God and what? And man which has been enacted and rest on better promises. Amen? And these promises are eternal promises. These promises are promises that can never be annulled. Amen? These are promises that cannot be changed. They remain eternal. So if you've partaken in these promises, you've been eternally inscribed and positioned in these promises. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 9, let's move to verse 9. Chapter 9, verse 8. We're still trying to see how these things are explained in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 8. By this, we're reading verse 8 to verse 15. By this, the Holy Spirit signifies that, signifies that the way into the holy place, the true holy of holies, and the presence of God has not yet been disclosed as long as a first or outer tabernacle is still standing. 
That is, as long as the Levitical system of worship remains recognized institution. Let me read it again. Verse 8 again. By this, the Holy Spirit signifies that the way into the holy place. Right? The true holy of holies. That means the one made by men is not the true holies of holies. Even though it carries the representation of the presence of God. In fact, if the priest goes there without being sanctified and cleansed, he's going to die. And in fact, the priest goes there once a year to make atonement. Imagine, once a year to seek for forgiveness of all the sins they will do for the entire year. No wonder when people sin, they die immediately. So it says, the true holy of holies and the presence of God has not yet been disclosed as long as the first, as long as that system is there. Right? The new is what? Is still, is still standing there as long as the Levitical system of worship remains recognized as an institution. For this first or outer tabernacle is a symbol. What is it? It's a symbol. Hallelujah. It's a symbol. It is a symbol. For some of us, I still want to hold on to the symbol. It's only a symbol. Hallelujah. That is an archetype of para or paradigm for the present time. Hallelujah. So we, at this present age, we've entered the new covenant. So where we are standing is a present time. It's a new system that Christ has introduced. Hallelujah. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered which are incapable of what? Perfecting the conscience and renewing the inner self of the worshiper. So all those things that they were doing in the altar seven was just a baby will pull and they'll cover it. Doesn't have the capacity to wash away the sins. Amen? For they, the gifts, sacrifices, and ceremonies deal only with what? Clean and unclean. Food and drinks and various rituals, washings, mere external regulations of the body, imposed to help the worshiper. It, was, it, it tried to help the worshiper. Until what? Until the time of reformation. That is the time of new order. When Christ was established, the reality of what these things foreshadowed, a better covenant. Hallelujah. Verse 11. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things to come, that is a true spiritual worship, he entered through the greater. Hallelujah. The more perfect tabernacle. Hallelujah. Not made with hands. Hallelujah. That is to say, not a part of this material creation. This, the, the tabernacle God Jesus entered is not material. It's not earthly. So he couldn't have shedded the blood on the cross, my brothers and sisters. Because the earth is material. Even the cross itself is material. Hallelujah. The next verse. He went once for all into where? The holy place. The holy of holies of heaven. Not of earth. But of where? Of heaven. Into the presence of God. And not through the blood of what? Of gouts and calves. But through his own blood. Having obtained and secured eternal redemption. That is the salvation of all who personally believe in him as Savior. So if you personally believe in him as Savior, he has obtained your, your eternal salvation. Your redemption. Hallelujah. Verse 13. For if the sprinkling of ceremonially 
defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a burnt heifer is sufficient for the cleansing of the body. How much more, hallelujah, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit willingly offered himself unblemished, that is without moral or spiritual imperfection, as a sacrifice to God, cleanse your conscience from the dead works and lifeless observances to serve the ever-living God. Only the blood of Jesus, only the life of Christ has the potency to bring us into this place of union with the living God. Verse 15, the last verse here. For this reason, which reason? For the reason of all that he has done. He, for this reason, he is the mediator. Not only a mediator, he negotiates. Hallelujah. He negotiates the new covenant, that is an entirely new agreement uniting God and man. Amen? So that those who have been called by God may receive the fulfillment of the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has, has taken place. You know what that, the death has taken place? The soul, that, the soul that sin shall die. The day you eat of the fruit you shall die. For the wages of sin is death. Because the death has occurred. Hallelujah. Taking the place as what? As paying the payment which redeems them from the sins committed under the obsolete first covenant. I trust that God is opening your eyes to see that we have a greater covenant in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Something greater than gold. Something greater than what money can buy. Something much more precious. Move to chapter 10, verse 11. Chapter 10, verse 11. I love the scriptures. Every priest stands at his altar of service, ministering daily, offering the same sacrifice over and over, which are never able to strip away sins that enveloped and cover us. Amen? I feel excited inside. Sin envelops us. And all they do, they couldn't wash, they couldn't open the envelope. Amen? It was sealed, yes, for the day of judgment. Whereas Christ, having offered the one sacrifice, the all-sufficient one, he's not come today, come tomorrow, all one, all-sufficient sacrifice of himself for sins of all time. The sin of all time simply means the sin of the past, sin of the present, and sins of the future. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For those who are born again. The sin of the past, the sin of the present, and the sins of the future. For those who are born again. Underline that. For sins of all time. Sat down. Signifying the completion of an atonement for sin. At the right hand of God, the position of our honor. Waiting from the time onward until his enemies are made his footstool for his feet. I don't want to explain this. Let's move to take my time. Verse what? Verse 12, right? Whereas Christ, having offered the ones, yes, verse uh, 14. For by one offering he has perfected when? Forever. Hallelujah. Please, please, I want you to give me this verse 14 in NLT. In NLT. He has perfected forever. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Amen? By what? By one offering, he has made what? 
He has made, he has made, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Those who are being made holy. You are perfected so that you'll be made holy. Hallelujah. You are not making, you are not becoming holy so that you'll be perfect. You are already perfect so you can begin to become holy. Amen? So your holiness doesn't make you perfect. Your strife to be holy, to not do this, not do that, is not to make you perfect. You're already perfect. So you have the strength and the capacity to become holy. Hallelujah. So that understanding, she gives you the, the, the capacity to live a holy life. You're not trying to do something so that you please God. You're already pleasing God. You are, in fact, God is well pleased with you. Why? Because you believe. You believe in what? In the atoning sacrifice of Christ. So you've been made perfect. Say, I'm perfect. I am made holy. I am perfect. I am perfect. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Verse 15. In Amplified. Verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also at his testimony to us in, confirming of, in confirmation of this. For after he said, after saying, this is a covenant I will make with, the, with them after those days, says the Lord. I will imprint my law upon their hearts and on their mind. I will inscribe them, producing an inward change, he then says. The next verse, he then says, verse 17. And their sins and their lawless acts, I will remember no more. No longer holding their sins against them. Hallelujah. See, God is, God is too big to be holding grudge with you. Amen. You think you've seen that's why God is not happy with you? You are, you are, you are degenerating the, 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 the strength of God. The mightiness of God. He has dealt with your sins once and forever. And the Bible says, remember them no more. So when he looks at you, he sees Christ. He doesn't see your past. Hallelujah. Let me tell you, there's no sin you can do. You can commit to outpower what Christ did on the cross. Amen. If you think you've done more, the most terrible things. Amen. You've not done what can cancel what Christ has done. Which means that you can come confidently before the Father. Not for, not for your own righteousness sake, but because of what Christ has achieved. Amen. So don't give room. Don't allow the devil to keep, keep, keep Keep, keep tormenting you with the past that Christ has dealt with. Don't allow the devil. Don't give him a room. And their sins and their lawless acts, I will remember no more. This is God saying that he will remember no more. We have the capacity to remember what people have done for us. You see, in God, God doesn't have the ability to remember. Most especially your sin. When they say forgive and forget, nobody can forgive and forget. But God has the capacity to forget. Amen? It's only God that can help you to forget. Amen? Because he himself forgets and he remembers your sin no more. You mean even what I did last night? He remembers it no more. Hallelujah. It is not in his nature to hold our guilt, hold us guilt. Guilty of, of what he has forgiven us. is never in his nature. Amen? So is that telling us to go and keep on sinning? No. 
No. That's not what this means. It means that we can live for him. Amen? It means that we have the ability to live for him. If hearing this will mean that you should keep on living anyhow, then you've not heard the truth. It means you never know the truth. It means the truth does not live in you. It means you are not safe. Hallelujah. Because this message is for those who are saved. And if you are saved, you no longer remember your sins anymore. Verse 18. Now, where there is absolute, say my forgiveness is absolute. That means you will not forgive 50% and hold 2% against you. It's absolute. Now, where there is absolute forgiveness and complete cancellation of the penalty of these things. What are those things? All the sins. Amen? Sins. There is no longer any offering to be made to atone for sin. So your tithe and offering cannot atone for your sin. You come and give me a gift as a pastor to pray for God to forgive you. I eat your offering. <laughs> and it doesn't mean your sin is forgiven. Your sin is forgiven only when you believe in Christ. Hallelujah. So your offering will not make your sin forgiven. Your good works in church will not make your sins forgiven. Amen? Hallelujah. So the mercy seat is meant for someone to sit and grant mercy and intercessions. It shows, it, 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 is, it is a throne of grace. It is a throne where grace is obtained. Grace has to do with what? Unmerited favor. Grace has to do with what we don't deserve, but he gave us because he chose to qualify us and give it to us free of charge. What none of us could purchase with money, with anything. Under the law, blood of animals sits on the mercy seat. We saw it sprinkling blood on the mercy seat. And God will just say, I've overlooked. But sin was not dealt with, but God overlooks. Amen? Blood of animals sits on the mercy seat. Now in heaven, Jesus himself sits where? He sits on the seat. Amen? Sprinkling of his blood is, is, is Jesus sitting right there for us. The mercy seat is where Jesus sits today to offer mercy. Hallelujah. And when we talk about mercy, what quickly comes to our heart is sin. Listen. The believer needs more mercy than even the unbeliever. Mercy is not only when you sin, then you seek for mercy. No. There are many things you can do, you cannot do, except by the mercy of God. That is why we have Jesus on the throne. To do what? To give us mercy. Where Jesus sits today to offer mercy and grant our intercessions. So when you pray, your focus should be on that mercy seat. Where your father, your friend, your elder brother, your, your, your chief priest sits. And his assignment there is to grant your intercessions. To offer mercy, to give grace. In times of need. Hallelujah. The high priest will stand to offer. In the Old Testament, the, the high priest will stand to offer. And then he leaves. But Jesus Christ sat there forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He sat there forever. He doesn't go to ease himself. He sat there forever. He doesn't go on vacation. 
He sat there forever. And his duty is to what? To offer mercy. To offer forgiveness. His duty day is to offer to answer our, in our intercessions and our heart cries forever. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Hallelujah. What does the right hand of God mean? The Bible says Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. The mercy seat, he will have no need to come and go repeatedly as we said. He will sit once and remain seated. So what is this right hand of God? What is this right hand of God? What is this right hand of God? Could this right hand of God mean that there's somebody sitting on the left hand of God? Amen? Okay, if Jesus is at the right hand, then who is at the left hand? Satan? Who? Abraham? Amen? Now, let's turn to Psalms, Psalms 110. Let's, let's look at Psalms 110 verse 1, quickly. Let's try to understand what his right hand means. The Bible says that he's seated at the right hand of God. Right? It's important that we understand what his right hand means. Psalms 110 verse 1. Let's look at how David prophesied. A psalm of David, the Lord Father says to my Lord, the Messiah, his son. This is David speaking. He saw something and he's declaring, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Subjugating them into complete submission. Hallelujah. Should we explain this passage? Okay, let's explain it with Acts. Acts chapter 2 verse 31. Acts chapter 2 verse 31. Acts chapter 2 verse 31. He foresaw and spoke prophetically. Who? David, right? He foresaw and spoke prophetically of the resurrection of the Christ, the Messiah. That means that Christ cannot sit on the right hand if he's not resurrected. Amen? So Peter here, is it Peter? Was speaking, he was explaining to us what David said. He says, for he foresaw and spoke prophetically of the resurrection of the Christ. That means that passage in Psalm 110 is talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Of the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. That he was not abandoned to death. Right? To Hades, to the realm of death. Nor did his body undergo decay. The next verse, quickly. God raised this Jesus bodily from the dead. And of that effect, we are all witnesses. The next verse. Therefore, having been exalted to where? To the right hand of God. Having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out the blessings with which you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens. Amen. Yet he himself says, The Lord, the Father said to my Lord, the Son, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Therefore, let all the hearts of Israel recognize beyond all doubt that God has made him but what? Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Go back to that verse. Right hand means what? That he has been made both what? Lord and Christ. Therefore, therefore what? Therefore what we've seen. They let all the house of Israel recognize beyond all doubt that God has made him what? Both Lord and Christ. That is the implication of him being at the right hand. 
Mark chapter 16, quickly. Mark 16, verse 19. I want us to look at these scriptures as quick as possible. Mark 16, verse 19. Mark 16, verse 19. So then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down at where? At the right hand of who? Of God. All right. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 to 20. Quickly. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 to 20. Ephesians 1, 19, 20. And so that you will begin to know what the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his, of his active spiritual power in us who, who believe these are in accordance with the workings. Please, you are faster than me. Eh? These are in accordance with the workings of his mighty strength with which he produced in who? In Christ. When he raised him from the death and seated him at where? At the right on at the his own right hand in the heavenly places, wherever you see right hand, it must be referring to first of all resurrection before right hand. It's very very important. Colossians chapter three verse one. Colossians chapter three verse one. Colossians chapter three verse one. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, Hallelujah, to a new life, sharing His resurrection from the dead. Keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at where? At the right hand of God. Does it seem as though some of us, oh, we are, our location could be the right hand of God? Yeah. Hallelujah. Okay. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. The sun is a radiance and the only expression of this glory of our awesome God, reflecting God's Shekinah glory, the light beam, the light beam, the brilliant light of the divine, and the exact representation and a perfect imprint of his father's essence, and upholding and maintaining and propelling all the things, the entire physical and spiritual universe, by his power, powerful word, carrying the universe along to his predestined goal, when he himself and no other had by offering himself to the cross as a sacrifice for sin, accomplished purification from sins and established our freedom from guilt, he sat down revealing his complete work at where? At the right hand of the majesty on high, revealing his divine authority. Hallelujah. Are you trying to see that the resurrection was what placed Jesus on the right hand? The right hand is revealing is the word divine authority. Amen? Divine authority. Chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews 12, verse 2. 12, verse 2. Looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of the faith, the first incentive for our belief, and the one who brings our faith to maturity, who, for the joy of the accomplishing the goal, set before him, endured the cross, disregarding the shame, and sat down at where? At the right hand of the throne of God, revealing his word, deity, his authority, and the completion of his work. Then lastly, First Peter chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. First Peter chapter what? Chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. Corresponding to that rescue through the flood 
Baptism, which is an expression of a believer. Am I reading the right place? Yes. Yes. Which is an expression of a believer's new life in Christ. Now saves you, not by removing the death from the body, but by an appeal to God for a good, clear conscience, demonstrating what you believe to be yours through the resurrection of Christ. Through what? The resurrection of Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at where? At the right hand of God. That is a place of what? Of honor and authority. So is authority synonymous to the right hand? Have you been seeing the relationship between authority and the right hand? Authority with all the angels and authorities, with angels and authorities and powers made subservient to him. Made subservient to him. Hallelujah. The right hand of God means absolute power and authority. That is what it means. It's a position that God has placed him, that he has given to him the absolute power and authority. Where he has absolute power and authority. Amen? Absolute power and authority. And that authority, he sits there and then he's waiting for us to show mercy. Amen? To grant our intercessions. So Jesus has all authority and power. Look at Matthew 28, 18. Matthew 28, verse 18. Please check the person on the media as he slept off. Hope he's under the anointing. <laughs> Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came up and said to them, All authority, all power of absolute rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Hallelujah. That was when? After the resurrection. Amen? That means without the resurrection, you couldn't have said this. Right? After the resurrection, he said what? All authority, all power of absolute rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17, the passage we read earlier on. We saw that God has set him above principalities. Above rulers. I always pray that God of our Lord Jesus Christ... The Father of what? Of glory may grant you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation that gives you a deep and personal intimate insight into the true knowledge of him. For we know the Father through the Son. Right? And I pray that the eyes of your heart, the very center and core of your being may be enlightened, flooded with light by the Holy Spirit so that you will know and cherish the hope the divine guarantee, the confident expectation to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the sense, God's people. And so that you will begin to know what the immeasurable, the unlimited, and the surpassing greatness of his active spiritual power in, is in us who believe. These are in accordance with the workings of his mighty strength, which he produced in Christ when he raised him from the dead. When he was raised from the dead, what happened? He was seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule, above authority, 
above power and dominion, whether angelic or human. Far above every name that is named above and every title that can be conferred. Not even the title your traditional village people will give. His name is above that. Above every title that can be conferred. Not only in this age and the world, but also where? In the one to come. And he put all things, somebody say all things, all things. in every reign, both material and immaterial. But in our realm and the heavenly reign, he put all things in subjection under Christ's feet and appointed him as supreme and authoritative head over all things in the church. Now give me verse 22 in NLT. Hallelujah. Now the NLT drives my home my message. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of who? For the benefit of who? Who is a church? So all the authority is for your benefit. This is the icebreaker. All this authority is for your benefit. All this authority, all this power, all this right hand is for your benefit. Do you know the implication of this? The implication is in John chapter 14, verse 12. John chapter 14, verse 12 to 15. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same work I have done. <laughs> Hallelujah. In me, he will do the works I have done. And even greater works. Because I am going to be with the Father. Now, this context is before he died. Amen? Before he died, right? I'll be with the Father. The next verse. You can ask for anything in my name. And I will do it. So that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Amen? Wait a minute. Ask what? Go back to that verse. The Bible was not edited. Actually, that was what Jesus said. You can ask for what? For anything. In my blood. In my what? In my name. And I will, I will do it. So that the Son can bring glory to the Father. That is the implication of him having all authority. For your sake, for your benefit. So that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Verse 14. Yes. Ask me for anything in my name. And I will do it. Verse 15. If you love me, you do what? Actually, one of the commandments is ask him. <laughs> Amen? You receive not because you ask not. Ask. That is the implication of being on the mercy seat. To, to offer mercy. And to grant intercessions. Acts. First John chapter 5 verse 14. The implication of him being on the mercy seat. First John chapter 5 verse 14 to 15. Quickly. First John chapter 14. Chapter 5 rather. Verse 14. 
And we are confident that he hears us. Whenever we ask for anything that pleases him, do you know what pleases him? The word pleases him. So that's the way to get what pleases him. Amen? We have confidence. And since we know that he hears us, when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. That is the implication. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. Hebrews 4 14. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. Inasmuch then we believe, we believers have a great high priest who has already ascended and passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession of faith and cling tenaciously to our absolute trust in him, our Savior. Yes, verse 15, verse here. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptations, but one who has been tempted knowing exactly how it feels to be human in every respect. And we are yet without committing sin. Hallelujah. Verse 16. Therefore, let us with what? With privilege approach the throne of grace. That is the throne of God's gracious favor. With confidence and without fear. So that we may receive mercy for our failures. And find his amazing grace to help in time of need. And appropriate blessings coming just at the right moment. Lastly, lastly, believe me, this one is the last one. First John chapter 2, verse 1. First John chapter 2, verse 1. First John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, believers, dear ones, I'm writing you these things so that you will not sin and violate God's law. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate who will intercede for us with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, the upright, the just one, who conforms to the Father's will in every way, purpose and thoughts and action. And he, that same Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. The atoning sacrifice that he holds back the wrath of God that will otherwise be directed to us because of our sinful nature, of our worldliness, our lifestyle. And not for us alone, but also for the sins of all believers throughout the whole world. Hallelujah. Very particular and very peculiar to you. So you have the confidence to face the Father. Amen. So why can't you open your mouth and ask for mercy? And say, Lord, have mercy on my life. Have mercy on my family. Have mercy on my everything that you can ask for mercy upon. Open your mouth and speak to God. Ask for mercy.